You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Now Psalm, or rather Ezekiel 37, is one of the most unusual passages in all of Scripture. I could read you that passage right now. I could do that, but I'm going to have it narrated. The reason I'm going to have it narrated is because I want you to see the Valley of Dry Bones. I want you to see the Valley of Dry Bones come alive before your very eyes and then listen to the narration along with it, and then I'll bring the message. So let's read God's Word together on the screen. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, that God spoke in the Old Testament through a variety of ways. For example, God spoke through men. The Bible tells us that he spoke through men of old. Because of men of old, literally thousands of years ago, today, we are speaking to you in the words of those men inspired by the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Bible also says that God spoke through a donkey? How strange is that? Did you know that God says he actually spoke Through a burning bush. God can speak any way that he he desires. And that's what's so amazing about Ezekiel chapter 37. Is in this chapter we see that God sent a message through a valley full of dry bones. And we can benefit from that. Now just in case there's someone here today who is concerned that I've missed the fact that the message of Ezekiel 37 in its purest form, is truly a message of God's plan for Israel. I understand that it is. In fact, the message is God's plan for Israel's future national restoration and the messianic kingdom. And, and not that that's not interesting, but to be honest, it's just not what I'm about on Sunday morning at Gospel Light. I'm not interested in, in, in at this point, teaching some deep truth about an Old Testament prophecy. I think that's a great lesson for small group or a Bible study or a one-on-one conversation at a coffee shop. This morning, what I'm more interested in 
is the very clear message for the church. Because there's a message for the church. In fact, in every illustration in the Old Testament, God put it there so that we, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, would be able to apply it to our lives today. And so for that reason, I bring to you this message, the third sermon in our series, Come Alive. I'm going to give you four truths and principles for the church to learn in this valley of dry bones. And the very first truth is this, that we need to experience the misery of the valley of dry bones. And there is misery. In fact, God made Ezekiel to walk around a boneyard. It wasn't Ezekiel that made this decision. If you'll notice the text, and if you're open to the text, and you can see it with your own eyes, you'll see here the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me into the valley. God himself said, Ezekiel, I want you to go to a miserable place and check it out. It's a boneyard. I want you to experience the scope of the tragedy that's happening there. It might be likened to the Holocaust. There's a place called Auschwitz, built in 1940, where over one million Jews were killed. I'm going to have Ken put that on the screen, just let it play through as I narrate just a little bit over that. It was the largest camp established by the Germans during World War II. In fact, allies decided to leave it. Leave many of the buildings there so that people like you and people like me, if we ever had the chance to go to that part of the world, we could actually visit this. We could walk amongst the alleys and the grounds and the corridors where over one million Jews were killed incinerated, made to be ashes. Those buildings remain there today for one reason. They cry out of the misery that took place there. Thanks, Ken. I give you that illustration to simply give you a taste of what it would have been like. To walk in that valley and experience the misery. No signs of life in that valley. No children playing. No bustling streets. Only absolute dead silence. And God said to the prophet, go there. I want you to go there. I want you to walk amongst the bones, the dry bones. It's a miserable place to be. And as Christians... We need to remember how miserable it was to be lost. We've forgotten that. That's why Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Because thou sayest, and this is what so many say, I'm rich, I'm good, man. I'm increased with goods. I live in America, man. I got cars, I got a house, I got central heat and air. My belly's always full. I have need of nothing. And yet thou knowest not, you are wretched, you are poor, you are miserable, blind and naked. Let me tell you something. Dead men can experience things that people who have been resurrected can experience. 
And there's three reasons why the Valley of Bones was so miserable. And the first reason was the obvious reason, and that was because of its lifelessness. There was no life there. The bones had no life. There was no identity there. Dead bones cannot love, and dead bones cannot receive love. We have a world full of people that are looking for love in all the wrong places. That's why drugs, that's why alcohol, that's why sex and, 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 and suicide, why people are looking for a place to find their identity and to be loved, but they can't find it because apart from Christ, there is no way to receive real love. But once you've experienced that, you're never the same. And that's the condition of all those that are lost and without Christ. Scripture describes them in Ephesians 2, 1 as being dead in their trespasses and their sins. But not only, first of all, was this valley of dry bones so miserable because of its lifelessness. Secondly, it was a miserable place because of its shamefulness. It's a shameful and humiliating thing. For the body of a dead Jew not to be washed, not to be wrapped, not to be buried with dignity in a grave or a tomb would have been a very shameful thing. What is the application here for us today? The application here is that no one wants to stand before God and look him in the face and have shame or humiliation. You don't want to do that. There is coming a day when everyone in this room will stand before God. Amen. If you're a believer for you, that is the judgment seat of Christ. You will stand before God. If you're a non-believer, that's the great white throne judgment. Both of them have the word judgment in them, illustrating the fact that we will stand before God in either shame or humiliation, or we can avoid it. We can avoid it. Good news. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears... We may have confidence and not shriek from him in shame at his coming. This is the word of the Lord. Trust Christ today. Come alive today. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the light. And he's rescued me from misery. Number three, it was a miserable place because it was a place of cursedness. Cursedness, lifelessness, and shamefulness. This would have been the ultimate in degradation in ancient times to have been dis- your body have been strewn out through a valley with other bones. This was the ultimate in degradation. And, and illustrating that to say this, that God calls sin a curse. Not just a poor choice. You know, we like to degrade sin down to where it makes us feel better. Oh, I, made, I just made a little mistake. No, it's called sin. Well, it was just a little flaw. It, it's called sin. You can, you can water it down, but it's sin. I had a guy tell me today that came to the church for the first time. Joe had invited him at a golf course, and he came to church today. And after the service, he shook my hand and said, Wow, it's been a long time since I've been to church where a guy actually just said it like it was. He said, this was, this, was, this was really good for me. He said, I usually get it watered down. And, and I don't know how I can water something down when it's thus saith the Lord. You see, Galatians chapter number three puts it like this. Christ 
redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Jesus became a curse for you. You and I, listen, you and I should have died and been hung on that cross. But look what Jesus did. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us. He bore the weight of our sin that we might live the resurrected life. And salvation removes your lifelessness. Salvation removes your shamefulness. Salvation removes your cursedness. Wow. But you and I need to understand the misery of the valley of dry bones. And then number two, because we need to acknowledge, secondly, the mystery of the valley of dry bones. And it is a mystery. I can tell you there's a reason why I avoided this passage of Scripture for 26 years. I've never preached in a text here. In fact, I couldn't remember if I had or not, and I was looking for a little help. I've got to find some help here. I've got to give me some notes. I went through every Bible I've ever preached in and couldn't find a place where I'd ever attempted to even try to preach from this text because this is a mystery. Look at verse number three, if you would, in your text. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? What a question. It's a question for the ages. Can there be a resurrection from death and decay? Can someone come alive after death? Ezekiel, listen, is so mystified by this question. Son of man, can these bones live? He is so mystified by this question, he he really doesn't know how to give an answer. Remember Job's question? If a man dies, shall he live again? Two things about this mystery. What you've got to understand about the resurrection is that it cannot be understood by human reasoning. It's not possible. In fact, in our text here, you'll notice the answer to that question was, Oh, Lord, Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. You know the answer. The Holman translation puts it like this. Lord God, only you know. Only you know. It's a mystery. This cannot be explained with human reasoning. I'll give you an illustration in the Bible. Anybody, anybody know who Saul of Tarsus is? Raise your hand if you know who Saul of Tarsus is. Okay, a lot of you know, and let me, let me introduce him to you. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer of Christians. He, he found a lot of joy in it. He loved killing people. It was, just a, it was like a hobby. In fact, when he wasn't killing Christians, he would actually uh, hold the garments of people so they could have just a, a, a better way of throwing those rocks and, and killing Christians. It was just easier. So the Bible says when Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr in Scripture, actually Paul said, hey guys, if you want a better shot at it, just let me hold your coats here. You can really wind up and throw a rock and, and it, it'll do a lot of damage. It's pretty cool. I've done it before. That's my introduction to Saul of Tarsus. So I'm standing there with you on that street that day. We're hanging out watching this man named Stephen get stoned. We're watching Paul cheer him on, holding the coats. And somebody walks up to us and says, see that guy right there? Saul, he's going to write most of the New Testament. He's going to write. It's going to be incredible. You're not going to believe this, but that guy right there killing that Christian, 
he is going to be used by God to write the majority of the New Testament. You know what? I would have said the same thing you would have said. You lost your mind. That's crazy. Doesn't make any sense. I know. But God is going to breathe on him. And he's going to have an experience with Jesus. And he's going to get born again. And the Spirit of God's going to come in him. And he's going to totally change from a murderer to an incredible apostle of Jesus Christ. Wow. Only God can do that. You say, I feel sorry for these folks in prison. It's so sad. Let me tell you something. Somebody in prison today can be our next great evangelist traveling around this country preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You look at a drug addict. You look at a man on the side of the streets that's been just, his life's been emaciated by by alcohol. And I want to tell you something this morning. Don't forget this. God is not through yet. God can answer that mother's prayer and God can bring him back and he can be standing in this pulpit preaching and testifying about Jesus. You say, that just doesn't seem like it can happen. It's crazy. I know. It's the mystery. It's the mystery of God's resurrection power, His Holy Spirit that breathes on us and we come alive and that prodigal can come home and that prostitute can become a mother who loves her kids and her husband. So I say to you this morning, keep on praying, Mom. Keep on praying, Dad. Because God can see things that you can't see. That's that's the cool part of the movie. That's the cool, that's why I'm preaching. It's really, the song Come Alive is worthless if it weren't for the fact that P.T. Barnum looked at that lady with the beard. Remember this scene if you saw it? Remember she was afraid to go on stage? She was like, huh? And, And he said, they're gonna love you. They're gonna love you. You know what he was doing? He was telling her something she could not see in herself. God comes to you this morning and says, God, I love you and I, I've got a great plan for your life. Oh, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I just, I don't, I'm not a good personality. I, I'm not really good with people. I, I don't know much about the Bible. I, 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 no, I, I, I'm not this person. I'm not that person. God says, I don't need this person and I don't need that person. I need you. You're special. I made you. They're going to love you. God's got a plan for your life. I want to use you. See, God sees things in us that we cannot see in ourselves. God understands things that we don't know yet. That's the mystery. And this mystery cannot be solved not only by human reasoning, but by human ability. Another great part of this story is found in verse number five, where he says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will. Now, here's what I have in the margin of my Bible. I have an arrow pointed to those words, I will, and and, and I have God. Because God's orchestrating this whole thing. The Lord says, I will cause breath. Breathe, O breath of God now. Breathe, O breath of God. Breathe, O breath of God now. Breathe. Breathe, O breath of God now. Breathe, O breath of God. Breathe, O breath of God now. Breathe. And then it just keeps going higher and higher. Because most of you, it takes about that many times to repeat something before you start going, oh, yeah, I get it. (laughs) At least that's me. Breathe. Breathe, he says. Breathe. uh, I will cause breath to enter in you, and you shall live. Don't miss this. 
something as radical as bringing life out of a pile of dry bones cannot be accomplished by human ability. It requires the power of an almighty God. Let me tell you something, church. You're looking at somebody that was not saved by man. I could not save myself. I tried. I tried hard. I was the best little Roman Catholic altar boy you've ever seen. I knew how to go to the priest and confess my sins. I knew how to make sure every 30 days I got washed real clean and then I get dirty again. And then I get washed as clean as I could by the priest and by the prayers and by the rosary and by the lighting of the candles. Man, I knew what to do to work my way to heaven, but I found out it's not working because only God can bring a dead man to life. Stop trying to be your own savior. Let God save you. Let Christ do the saving. You can't save yourself. Number two, number three, we need to celebrate the miracle. I love this one because you know what sometimes preachers feel like on Sunday morning? Let me tell you what they feel like. They're preaching to a valley of dry bones. Some of you haven't smiled yet. I mean, honestly, and it's okay. I'm not upset. I'm used to it. I am used to it. I've been doing this for 26 years. I've sat through some of the most stoic faces you've ever seen. I've sat through church services. I sat through church services. Listen to this. True story. You're not going to believe it. I know you're not going to believe this. I'm just telling you the truth. But I sat through church services for 20 years where I thought it was wrong to raise your hands in church. So you're okay. I mean, if you'd have done this, we'd have called you names. I mean, it would have been like curse names. It would have just been, look at that charismatic over there. They're a weirdo. They're, you know, calm down in church. Funny thing is I see those same people at ball games with both hands in the air screaming and yelling. I just started adding two and two together, and I thought, something's not adding up here. So I'm okay. I used to preaching to a valley of dry bones. And so is, that's the message. The message is this. The message is to the church. And God says to the church today, wake up. He says there's a miracle that's taking place. And the miracle was initiated by human preaching. You see, where do you see that in the passage, Pastor? Verse 7. Do you see it too? Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. New Testament word for prophesied was preaching. So I preached as I was commanded. Listen to me. I'm preaching this morning what I've been commanded to preach. The whole counsel of God. Ezekiel 37 is in the Bible, so God says, let's preach it. God used different ways to get me to this passage, and here I am. He, I believe that Ezekiel might have thought, as he was prophesying to those dry bones, this is the biggest waste of time. I am screaming in a valley to bones. This is weird. What is this accomplishing? And sometimes I wonder if if, if maybe, you know, are, are we just playing games? Has church just become very religious? Are we just here to clock in and clock out? Or is this, or is this something that is real and lasting and life-changing? And is my passion just for show? Am I, am I doing this every Sunday because I want you to think I preached a good message? Or has God truly changed my life? Do I love God more than I love anything else? Do I celebrate 
what he's done in my life more than I celebrate anything else. Sunday mornings is a celebration, church. We're not coming to a funeral. We're coming to a resurrection. And that's why we worship like we do now. Because this is not a valley of dry bones. This is what they did in that video every Sunday morning. Confetti. Listen, if I thought we, Ken would want to clean up confetti, Ken, we'd do it every Sunday. Why not? Let the confetti fly. Why not? Confetti represents winning, victory. That's what's going to fall on game In the championship here, if you like basketball, you might be watching the finals. The last game, watch what happens. The last game, confetti will be everywhere. They'll clean it up for days. But nobody will care. Because that city will have won the championship. Nobody will care. And yet for some reason, we care when we celebrate too much in church. It's just, relax. You see, I don't think we can put enough instruments on this stage that would worship God like he deserves to be worshipped. There's not enough instruments. Psalm 150 teaches us that. And so, let me give you three things to consider about my preaching, our preaching, your preaching. We're all preachers here today. The claim of our preaching is the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what it's all about. It's the gospel. It's about really nothing else. It's about the gospel. I'm preaching this morning the gospel of God. I really am. I mean, the gospel is from Genesis to Revelation. In fact... I want to show you three verses on the gospel real quick. Number one, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. To the world, preaching seems folly. It seems foolish. But yet, the word of God says in verse, go to the next one. Is that it? Okay, good. Thanks. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. And then I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God has chosen preaching to be the vehicle of his salvation. How cool is that? It's a great vehicle. And all of us have the opportunity to do it. Lives are changed. Nations are healed. Dead bones are resurrected when you and I participate in sharing the gospel. That's preaching. That's what it is. It's not just standing up here on Sunday mornings. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm usually preaching to more saints than I am to sinners in a sense of, I mean, we're all sinners, but you know what I mean, saved or lost. Usually, more church members come to church on Sunday morning. I'm not saying all of them are saved. We know they're not. But there's a lot of people that come to church every Sunday morning. Where the message needs to get out is beyond, beyond these four walls. That's all of us. And then the center of our preaching is Christ. That's who we preach. We preach Christ. That's what, that's what they did in the New Testament. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Look at it. It says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Why? That's the message. The message is Christ. Period. End of story. The message is Jesus. Jesus. That's the message. That's it. That's, that, that's the most important thing. I told somebody the other day, if you preach Jesus, you're my friend. I, I, if you preach Jesus is the only way to heaven, honestly, I could care less about all the other stuff. I just want to know you preach Jesus and we can shake hands and have a cup of coffee. Because that's what it's all about. And then number two, three, the climax of our preaching. What is the climax? What is this all about? It is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the story, where we see the conviction of the Holy Spirit taking place, illustratively, of course, I understand that, but it's, it's there. Look at verse 7. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. Remember that sound in the book of Acts chapter 2? Sound of a rushing mighty wind. Remember that? And the Bible says that their tongues began to speak, and they had cloven you know, fire on their heads. And I mean, this was an amazing picture in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would say it would be really weird right now if it started blowing strong winds inside the building? Yeah, I would too. I mean, if all of a sudden strong winds blew inside the building, but can I tell you what that would mean? It, would, it wouldn't mean we're having a storm inside the building. It would mean the Holy Spirit is choosing to reveal himself through something that is unusual because that's how he works. Our churches are way too predictable. We're way too mechanical. We've organized the Holy Spirit out of the church. We've got our order of service, and if the Holy Spirit interrupts it, we're like, that, that wasn't, excuse me, huh, Holy Spirit, excuse me, that, that, that we're, we're doing this next. Uh, God bless you. Start your own church. Because when the Holy Spirit works, look at this. There was a sound, and behold, a rattling. A rattling? That's different. That's kind of unusual. Because the Holy Spirit has a way of shaking things up. Can I tell you one of the greatest evidences that you know our church is on the right track? The Holy Spirit shook things up around here. We got out of the status quo. We, we, we got out of the traditionalism, which is Phariseeism. We got out of that. We got out of everything being just... This way, and if you don't like it, you can lump it. And if you're not this way, nobody's right. We got out of that and we decided, wait a minute. Let's let God shake things up. Because when God shakes things up, bones begin to rattle and people begin to come together and unity takes place and a mighty army rises up. I love verses 7 through 10. I won't take time to, to read it all. For sake of time. But if you get a chance to read through, you're going to see here. Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds. Oh, breathe and breathe on these that are slain that they may live. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I'm telling you, Psalm 37 went from like my least favorite, most mysterious chapter in all the word to one of my favorites now. I think I'll preach this message when I'm on the road. I'm so excited about it. I feel as if the Holy Spirit has just shown the light on this passage and said, this is, this is revival. This is what the church needs. A shaking up. A rattling. And then number four, and we're done. We need to remember the message of the dry bones. What is the message of the dry bones? Well, I'm going to read you these last four verses and give you three thoughts and we're done. On time. But, but I, want to, I, want to, I want to qualify what I'm going to say by this. When I read these, 11, uh, these four verses, 11 through 14, I want to remind you what we said in the beginning. That this message prophetically is speaking about the nation of Israel's future restoration. We understand that. So when we read these scriptures, you'll see that kind of coming out like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, God is going to restore the nation of Israel. That's incredible. But remember... We're applying it to the church today. There he said, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So there it is. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people. 
and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I see so much right there. I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't know where to start. I'm almost done. But I can see here where it says, you know, uh, I, I will open up your graves and raise you up from the graves of my people. I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live. I can see the church there. Hey, have you ever heard this? Man, that church was dead. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever been in a dead church where you just felt like when you walked in, it was like a refrigerator? You know, and not because of the air condition, because just people were cold. Have you ever got a, a weird look when you sat down in somebody's seat in church? <laughs> Happens all the time. Let me give you three things Jesus is ready to bring to life. Let me apply it to, the, to, to today. Number one, Jesus is ready to bring to life some lifeless sinners. He wants to bring to life someone here today that was like me. See, September the 1st, 1978, I did not realize what was happening to me in that service. I did not realize it because I had never experienced the Holy Spirit. But on that day, something was drawing me to Jesus. It was powerful. It was magnetic. It was and I like that song, Come Alive, when it talks about electrifying. It was electrifying. I mean, I was sitting in that church, and this very enthusiastic preacher was preaching about Jesus and the gospel and salvation. And I'm sitting there as a 13-year-old boy who had never been in the Catholic church. The first thing I'm thinking is, that dude is crazy. Because, I mean, when you're used to church in Latin, this can kind of shock you a little bit. There could be somebody in the building that thinks this this guy's weird. I understand. I thought I was weird too one day. I'm really rather a normal Christian. This is kind of how we act. When Jesus saves us and comes into us, we, it's electrifying. It really is. And so I was sitting there and I'm, I'm the Holy Spirit is wooing me to him. He's, he's pulling me to him. And, and I, I stepped out and walked down an aisle and, and, and I had what, what's called a conversion experience. I mean, some like to call it a Damascus Road experience. For Paul, it was like falling off of a horse to the ground, angel of the Lord speaking to him, craziness. For me, it wasn't that. I have my own story. We all have our own stories. But I will tell you this. When I got up off my knees, I was a different person. I mean, I was, I, I was given new life. The Holy Spirit breathed in me. And what's interesting is, some people that know me now and knew me then will tell you not much has changed. I'm just a 53-year-old, 13-year-old kid that got saved, and I still haven't gotten over it. That's really what it is. It truly is. I mean, I was born again. Listen to me, church, that I am no longer a dead man walking. I have been resurrected. I have been given new life. I am a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. God wants to do that miracle in somebody's life this morning. He wants to breathe new life in you, make you a new creature. Number two, Jesus is ready to bring new life to some lifeless marriages today. As a pastor, I've come to know there are many lifeless marriages in the church. I've come to know there are many who 
have just lost their first love for one another. And you can sense and see and understand the longer you pastor. And, I, and again, I'm not even speaking really just of, of our church now. I'm looking back on 26 years of ministry and some of the carnage that I've seen left behind in marriages. People that have been in our church before and may even now be on their third or fourth marriage. The grace of God is still ready to heal and ready to change, and I understand all that. But I'm just speaking from this standpoint. Maybe you've been taking steps away from one another, little steps away from one another, and now you find yourself actually flirting with other women, flirting with other men. You've abandoned the counsel of God. You've given up on your marriage, and now you're looking at possible divorce or separation. Now when people bring up the kids, it's like, oh, they'll be fine. Look at so-and-so's kids. They were divorced. They're doing okay. You're saying things you would have never said before. Your marriage has become lifeless. And God wants to breathe on your marriage today. He wants to breathe life back into your marriage. Intimacy. True love. Concern for one another. Humility. Just, I'm wrong, no, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, no, I'm wrong. Okay, we're both wrong. Yeah, we're both wrong. Let's get this right. God wants to do that. God wants to breathe life back into some marriages today. You think he can? I know he can. I've seen it. And then, Jesus is ready to bring to life some lifeless churches today. Now, today, I, I, I don't pastor any other church. I I just pastored this church, so I can't speak for any other church, but I can speak for our church, amen? I can speak for gospel light, and I would say we've not arrived yet. I would say we're a church that still, we've still got, we're on a journey. And that journey is taking us down a wonderful road of, of, of new and living waters. It's taken us away from a lot of things that, Maybe we were more comfortable with, and God has shaken some things up, and, and God's taught us a lot of things. He's given us some new life. The Holy Spirit of God is changing us and working in us, and I don't think we've arrived yet. I think our church is still on that journey, and so I would just ask you as a church member, and me as a church member, and my family as a church member, individually to say, God, breathe on me. Help me to be a light in this community. Help me, God, to be quick complaining. Just quit complaining, God. And help me to get my eyes on the lost. Help me to see someone out there without Christ and decide I'm going to be that breath of God. I'm going to breathe life. This morning we had a guy, that I may have already told you, but a guy, I loved it, Joe. Uh, it was a gentleman that Joe was golfing, Joe and Jordan were golfing with this week, and and they'd never met him before. I guess you guys got paired together or something, like because of the you showed up at the same time and just went. So you went to, you know, get in each other's way, I guess. So they invited him to come to church. Well, he came this morning. So I'm leaving, I'm giving the invitation, right? And I've got my eyes closed during the invitation at the altar. I'm just, I'm just worshiping. I thought everybody had finished coming. We had a, quite a few come and, and then I opened my eyes and I see this guy just laid out on the altar and I just went down and I wrapped my arms around him and I said man can I pray with you and he said he said I need just just 
breathe some breath into me. I'm a recovering drug addict. My grandmother prayed for me. I'm an answer to my grandmother's prayers. He said, I wrote a note to Joe during the service. He said, I said, I've been looking for a church. He said, I found one. I need, he said, I need this place. I wonder how many other people need this place that God's going to put you and me in their path this week. But we're going to be more excited about something else than we are about actually being the breath of God for a hurting, lost, dead person who needs somebody with the breath of God in them to breathe life. That's the, that's the change, man. That's what it's all about. So let's ask God to do that today, shall we? If you're lost and you need Christ, come. Be saved. If your marriage is struggling, come. If you are one who is a church member and you would say, I just need, I need to pray about God using me as a vessel for his glory, you come. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father, thank you for what you've done. God, we've walked amongst the valley this morning, the valley of dry bones. God, we've taken a trip to the Holocaust where millions of Jews were killed. God, we understand the misery of being lost and dead. God, we understand the mystery. There's no way to to be resurrected without the Holy Spirit's power. God, we truly get the message. The message is Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray today that we would respond as you have spoken. You have spoken. Lord, may we no longer hear Eric Capace's words, because that's not going to do us a lot of good. May we now, God, hear the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit speaking to us, to our hearts. And may we come alive. May we come alive this morning. In Jesus' name. Shall we stand? You need to come. You come as we sing.